Recording in progress. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome, welcome, welcome to Daily Power Parsha slash Peachy Parsha. I know what I picked. You got, did you get a, you got a lunch? Yes. Oh, I put oh. it, I'm taking it. Oh, you take it to go. Okay, all right, good. Welcome to, uh, to Peachy Parsha and Daily Power Parsha, which is really the same thing, just with the extra addition that if you're here in person, on Monday, should we say you can... Instead of uh, yeah, I, I think we should stick with DPP, <laughs> stick with DVP and PG Parsha. Hey, Mark, your lunch is ready to roll. All right, so here we go. We have a new por- portion this week. Torah portion is Vayetze. Vayetze is one of those portions that you just want to read again and again and again because it is so dramatic and so amazing, so much fun. So Vayetze takes us through the journey of Jacob as he leaves home and forges his own identity and his family and fathers the 12 tribes, all that good stuff happens in this week's Torah portion, um, Vayetze. So what we're going to do is we're going to jump 181 in the Chumash. Thank you very much. That'll help me actually open up. And then I also have the printout so we can see what's going on on the online version. I have the printout in person with the online text. And of course, I'll share the online text right now. That way we're all literally on the same page. Okay, here we go. Vayetze. Genesis chapter 28, verse number 10. Here we go. Vayetze It says in Hebrew, and the English, of course, is, Yaakov Jacob left Be'er Sheva, and he went to the place called Charan. Went to a place called Charan. My understanding, by the way, this is just um, my belief. I heard this. Can't confirm it's true. I heard that there's a place today called Haran, that is the ancient biblical city of Haran. I mean, in Hebrew, it's Haran with a ch, but in English, you'd say the H sound, the Haran. There's a city today around maybe Turkey or maybe not Turkey, I don't know, and some in, in th- that part of the world where Avram was from, where Rebecca was from, where, uh, uh, as we'll see today, Rachel and Leah are from, maybe not today, eh, whatever, we'll see if we see today. And uh, places still called today Haran. So who, who, who would have thought? All right, so Yaakov leaves Be'er Sheva. Now Be'er Sheva is where his father, where his parents lived. That's where he grew up. And he leaves home because last week's Torah portion, what happened? Yaakov, Jacob, took the blessing from his brother. And his brother wants to kill him. So Jacob says, all right, or his mother said, time to go. His father said, time to go. Mother out of safety. And marriage, father out of only knowing the safety issue, the marriage issue. All right, time to go to Haran. So here we go, let's continue. He came, he arrived at the place. He came to the place, he came across the place, which is, according to our sages, Mount Moriah, where the Holy Temple was, would be later built. And he spent the night there. He lodged there because the sun had set. And Rashi explains, quoting our sages, that it's not that the sun set. It's not that he didn't. You know, it's like suddenly he had to figure out lodging because the sun set. What, he doesn't know that the sun's going to set? It happens every single day. No, the sun set suddenly in order that he should go to sleep specifically in that place. So again, he really had more hours to travel and end up in, uh, you know, uh, Holiday Inn, perhaps. Maybe he had even booked it online. Who knows? He was probably organizing travel. Yet, the sun set suddenly, and now he can't travel. It's dangerous to travel at night. So, he lies down in that place. And what is that place? 
Har Hamoria, Mount Moriah. The holy, the site of the future holy temple. Now, in that spot that he, that he lays down to sleep, he took some of the stones of that place and he placed them around or at his head and he lay down to sleep in that place. Now, why does he put stones at his head or around his head? So some say that it was like a pillow, right? A pillow, like something to prop up his head, which sounds kind of harsh, but I guess if you're sleeping on the, on the ground, so if, you, if the ground is your pillow, if your ground is your mattress, that a stone could be your pillow for the, same, for the same price. But Rashi says, Rashi quotes, again, classic Jewish tradition that says that he put the stones around his head, not under his head, but around his head to protect him from danger. What's the danger? Wild animals. So he must have put enough stones, enough, uh, high enough, that he wouldn't get devoured by wild animals. You know, if you're lying down in the middle of the, middle of the way, middle of the ground, that's a concern, certainly. Okay. Of course, the question is, why did he only protect his head? Why not the rest of his body? This the Rebbe asks, right? Why is it that he only protects his head? And the Rebbe explains spiritually, the Rebbe gives a spiritual explanation, as long as we protect the head, everything else is okay. The way it works in life is that as we go out into the world or as we go out into a new area of danger, when I say danger, I mean a spiritual danger, a new, da- a new area of, of potential negative influence, we have to make sure that our head, that our head is, uh, is, is where it needs to be. In other words, that our perspective, our values, our ideals are where they should be. Because if, we're, if our head is compromised, Again, not physically, but conceptually. If our head is compromised and suddenly we're like, well, you know what? Maybe this is not a value. Maybe this is not a truth. Maybe I, don't, maybe I can compromise on this. At that point, game over. The head becomes the most important thing to protect. That's symbolized with this protection of Yaakov and the stones around his head. That's where we risk, we risk succumbing to folly. That, oh, good. <laughs> that is, right, overcoming folly that we do on Sundays, but not yesterday. Overcoming Folly, the Kabbalah and Coffee course, which, by the way, is available on our podcast, SoundCloud, Intangible Academy, and uh, podcast Knowledge on the Deeper Side. Look, the, the Overcoming Folly means that our head can start conjuring up all sorts of bubba my, all sorts of negative stuff. We have to be careful, to be careful that we're thinking in, the, in, in, in a healthy, holy fashion. All right, let's jump, let's continue to verse number 12. All right, yes, Mark, jump in. Rashi has a very unusual comment here about the stones. Okay. He says um, he made them like a gutter pipe around his head because he was afraid of dangerous animals. The stones began to, to quarrel with one another. This one would say, uh, this is what Rashi said, upon me shall the righteous one lay his head. Good. And this one would say, upon me shall he, la- on me shall he lay his head. And the Holy One blessed is he, immediately made them into one stone. And this is why it says, And he took these stones that he placed around his head, using the singular, these stones. Good. So Mark is citing, excellent. Mark is citing a Rashi, classic Rashi on this verse. Not only did Yaakov, did Jacob, place the stones around his head for protection, but he placed multiple stones 
And again, according to the Medrash, the stones began to argue with each other, saying, oh, Jacob should rest his head near me or near me, and they were all fighting. So God says, you're fighting. Become one stone. And that was it. And that's why it says when he wakes up, when he went down to sleep, it says that he took from the stones of the place and put them around his head. When he wakes up, it says he took the stone. Why singular? Because what started off as stones, plural, became stones in the singular, which leads me to a klotzkasha, which is, you know, a, an obvious question that no one ever asked. And the obvious question that no one asks is, one second, if the stones were arguing about, think about it, if the stones were arguing about whose head he should, the, the tzaddik, Jacob should rest on or be near, how does that help that God makes it into one stone? It's still only touching one area of the stone, which is, right, imagine you have different stones and they all become fused together. Great. But he's still only touching one part of the stone and others one of the original stones. So how does it help? And the simple answer is, maybe it seems like such an obvious answer that you're wondering what my question is, but I just want to talk it through. The answer is, because once you become one stone, you lose your individuality as distinct from the other. In other words, as long as you're separate stones, you say, I, 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 want, I want it, I don't want you to have it. But if we look at ourselves as one, the moment they look at themselves as one stone is the moment that it's not I versus you, but it's rather a singular unit, I, or a singular unit, we, as a, as a, as a collective. All right, just, just talking that through. One more question. Yes. Is this just artistic license? They have an illustration here, but they're showing 12 stones around them, like the 12 tribes. Is there any reason for that? I, be I believe there is a tradition that he took 12 stones. Doesn't, yeah, doesn't I, okay. I believe there is a tradition that he took 12 stones, which would foreshadow his 12 sons. Yeah. Right. All right, let's get to the dream. This is the famous dream of Jacob's ladder. All right, verse 12. And Yaakov, Jacob, dreamt. He dreamed, and behold, look. A ladder was wedged, was set upon the ground, and its top reached to heaven. And look, behold, angels of God were going up and going down upon it. They were ascending and descending. So what's interesting here, a point that I've pointed out many, many times in many different classes, is that you have this ladder. He's dreaming a dream. He sees this ladder. The foot the, the bottom of the ladder is resting as the ground. The top is extending all the way into the heavens. And he sees angels of God going up and going down. The obvious question is, shouldn't it say first going down and then going up? Angels begin in heaven. The first movement is down and then back up. Right? What's this up and down? So our sages understand this to refer to the ladder. What is the ladder? What, what are the angels? It's the ladder of prayer. This is the ladder. This is the, the, the symbolism. The imagery is the ladder of prayer, the, the movement of the prayer, of our prayers that ascend upward and bring from above to below, bring down the blessing. So we, we petition, if you will. We speak to God. So our, our, our prayers ascend and what comes back down are the blessings. We hope, right? We, that's what we're praying for. Please God. So going up and going down, those are, the, those are the angels. The angels are not just angels you know, regular angels, stam, as we would say in Hebrew, just, you know, random angels. No, these are specifically prayer angels. Every time we pray, we create angels. It says the clearer we pray, the clearer we enunciate the words, the more, the healthier the angels are. 
If we say the words really quickly, you ever hear people pray? Sounds almost like a fighter jet. Doing it really fast. Problem is, we can create broken angels. Broken angels, a wing is a little bit, you know, uh, not so functional. That wing is not so functional. And the prayers can't descend the way they need to, so we have to pray in a way that is clear and beautiful. Let's continue with the next verse. Verse 13. Now, suddenly, in middle of the dream, and behold, God was standing over him. And God says to Jacob, I am God, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Yitzchak. So speaking to Jacob, to Yaakov. And so how does God introduce himself? I am God, the God of Avram, of Abraham, your father. By the way, Abraham was not his father. Are you with me on this? Yes? You guys with me? Who is he speaking to? Jacob. Abraham was not Jacob's father. Let's just be very clear here. Isaac was Jacob's father, right? Abraham was his grandfather. Nonetheless, that's not what God says. God says, I am the Lord. I am God, the God of Abraham, your father. Oh, and the God of Isaac. Isaac was the father, and yet father goes to Abraham. You with me on this? A little bizarre, a little weird. Good. So, yeah, so one answer is exactly what Donna says. One answer is, yeah, because Abraham, your father, means the father of this whole movement. With not, if not for Abraham, you're not here as you are. This whole thing begins with Abraham. So although Avram, although Abraham is not necessarily his biological father, first of all, he is his biological, biological's, biological father's father. So it's, it's pretty close. But either way, Avram, Abraham, is the father of this whole movement. So Abraham, your father, yeah, and the God of Isaac as well, your, literal, your physical father. Okay, so that's how God introduces himself. And then he says the following, referring to the land that he is presently sleeping on. He says, God says, I will give to you and to your descendants the land on which you are lying. In other words, this land that you're on right now, this land is given to you and your descendants. This is one of the numerous times in the Torah, in the book of Genesis, that a promise of land, of the Holy Land, is given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let's get, yes. Does that become Bethel? This becomes, let's see, yes. As we have later on in verse 19, he names the place Beth-El. Now, this becomes also later on Jerusalem, right? That's what we know it as. This is where the temple is built. This is the Temple Mount. But nonetheless, uh, that's the name that he gave it then. That's the name that Jacob gives it then after this whole episode. Yeah. Now, let's continue verse 14. This is still in the middle of the dream. So Jacob is lying down to sleep on this hill on the Temple Mount. There's no temple yet. On this part of, the, part of the world, in the holy city of Jerusalem, on the holy place where the temple will be later on built. By the way, this was already a holy place. This is the place where um, it says, this is the place where Adam and Eve were formed. This is the place where the, the earth that, they, that God takes to create Adam is from this place. This is where um, Noah 
built the altar after getting off the ark. This, was a, this is where the binding of Isaac took place. This was a very holy place. Meanwhile, while this dream is going on and the angels are happening, God, again, God is appearing now to, to, to Jacob. And God says, he promises, the, he says, he introduced himself, I'm, I am God, the God of Abraham and Isaac. This land I will give to you. Let's continue verse 14. Yeah. Aren't these, you know, your enumeration of everything that happened there? I mean, isn't that more rationale for why Israel is? For sure. Now? For sure. Yeah, but I mean, the core, the core relationship between Israel and the Jewish people is predicated on the fact that countless times God says, I'm going to give it to you and your descendants forever. It's literally in the book. So you don't need anything else, as we discussed last Wednesday. And, spoiler alert, we'll also discuss that this week as we talk about in our Outsmarting Anti-Semitism course, we talk about kind of like Israel-related Israel anti-Semitism. We'll once again review what I explained last week in the class. Okay, good. Let's continue with verse 14. Sorry, Rashi says, yes. Rashi says that um, the Holy One, blessed is He, folded up the entire land of Israel beneath Him. He, so that's I like that. That's what I like that. Rashi is saying, Mark is quoting Rashi, that God folded up the land of Israel and kind of placed it underneath where Jacob was sleeping. So Jacob was therefore sleeping not in just one particular area, but on the whole land. It's kind of like uh, when you take a piece of paper, you fold it up, you put, you know, origami. origami. Yeah, that's right. And you cut, right? You open it up. Oh, the whole thing is cut. Let's continue. Verse 14. Um, and your descendants, your seed, will be as widespread as the dust of the earth, and you will be strong. You shall gain strength. You will be strong to the west, to the east, to the north, and to the south. That is the famous phrase, Ufaratsta yama vakeimna v'tzvena v'negba. Ufaratsta, 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 ufaratsta yama vakeimna v'tzvena v'negba. That's right here. This is a beautiful verse. Right? Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. That's been explained many times, but here it talks about directions. So dust of the earth means as widespread as the dust. It's just like there's dust everywhere. So too, the Jewish people will be everywhere, across all four corners of the earth, west, east, north, and south. Interesting. Does this kind of prelude the idea of the diaspora, the Jews being everywhere? Perhaps. We'll have to look in the commentaries to see. Being a light into the nation, influence, being an influencer, good. In other words, not keeping right. things localized and kind of like in the tent, but kind of uh, allowing the influence to spread beyond very tight borders. Let's continue. Oh, and it says it clearly. Look, and through you shall be blessed all the families of the earth and through your seed, or all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. All the families, all the families of the earth. That's more than the Jews. That's more than the Jews, right? All the families of the earth means that the Jewish influence will be positive, not just within Jewish ranks and Jewish circles, but amongst the entire global populace. This doesn't say light unto the nations in the exact terms. That's from another verse in the books of prophets, or lagoyim, light unto the nations. But here, essentially, it says the same thing, right? What is God's blessing to, to Jacob, right? Jacob's traveling. He's alone. He had to run away from home. His brother wants to kill him. Things are a little bit disruptive for Jacob, a guy who likes to sit in the tent and study Torah with his dad. So what's, what does his life look like now? He's on the run. 
He's going to a foreign land and he's having a dream. He sees the angels and God says, I got you. Nothing to worry about. I'm going to bless you. You'll get the land. You'll have children who will, be an, who will be influencers. And they're going to make an impact on the whole world. It's, it's beautiful. Let's continue with the blessing. Yeah. About being dispersed. I have a note here. It says, Anklos renders Basis uh, Kate Aramaic yes. for, for the. This is so small. The chazak, the chazak Right, strength. Uh, which, yeah, the word does not have the negative connotation. You dispersed, or you make a breach. It means you will spread out forcefully. Right. So, right. Rashi and Marcus point out. Rashi is emphasizing that this dispersion of the Jews, north, east, southwest, is not one of weakness. Right. You know, divide and conquer, but it's one of strength, going out with force to influence, to spread out the influence in a positive way, not in a negative way of dispersion. Right, because sometimes with dispersion you get a um, a diluting of the strength, and here it's an increase. It's a negative, right? By the way, there are sources, and Kabbalah speaks about this, how the diaspora, even though it seems to come about as a punishment, exile, destruction of the temple, blah blah blah, you know. But but there's another way to look at it, and that is, it's a blessing. It's the ability now to influence far and wide. So it's a completely, it's a, it's, a, it's a paradigm shift in how, how we look at it, but it's brought down in Kabbalah and Hasidic philosophy. And a quote here, it says, regarding those who want to leave the diaspora, instead make this place the land of Israel. Right, right, right. If, right, if we're in the diaspora and we, and we yearn for the Holy Land, good. Number one, you can go. We, we can go. Number two, we can make our own space holy. We should mention Ariella, who's with us here, is uh, planning a trip to Israel in the next few days, right? A few weeks, a few days? When? In a, in a few weeks, leaving December 6th. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you. Amazing. You're, uh, you're going to carry the inspiration from all of us back to the source and then bring it back to us. That's yes. it. That's <laughs> it. All right, good. Let's continue. Verse number 15. God continues to say, Behold, look, I am with you, and I will guard you wherever you go. In other words, whether it's Esav or Lavan, in other words, whether it's your brother who wants to kill you, your uncle who's going to want to trick you, he says, I got you. You're in my good hands with all state and with God. You're good. Everything's good. Done. I, let's continue verse 15. I will bring you back. I will restore you to this land. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not abandon you. I will not forsake you until I have carried out what I have spoken concerning you. In other words, what I have spoken to Abraham, the promise that was intended for you and not Asaph. So essentially God says, I am with you. I am going to go with you, and you will come back in peace. You'll go in peace and come back in peace. Nothing to worry about, nothing to fear. Let's continue verse 16. So now, Jacob, Yaakov, at this point, he woke up from his sleep. And he said, Indeed, God is truly in this place. And I did not realize it. I did not know it. As Rashi says, otherwise I wouldn't have slept here. Who would sleep in the temple? Right, imagine. Imagine, you, like, you, no one goes to sleep in a synagogue. Okay, except if the sermon, you know, gets a little bit too long. But, I mean, no one, re, it's, it's, not a, it's not a place to... You don't plan on it. You don't like stretch out. Like I'm looking in our show. We have couches, right? We have couches. 
If you've ever been to our shul, we have like nice, what color is that? Green? Teal? 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 Yeah. Teal couches. We have them on the women's section, right? Yeah, it's like a nice, it's like nice couches. Very elegant. But like no one's going to stretch out in the middle of service and just be like, all right, I'm just taking a quick nap, sis. Like it doesn't, it's not a thing. It's not, it's not, hey, you can sit down and relax. And if you happen to doze off, okay, that's one thing. But no one's going to like lie down and just like, you know, get, hook me up with a blanket. I got pillows here. We're good to go. It's not a thing. On Passover, you can recline. On Passover, you can recline. Yes. Passover, you have to recline. But here's the thing. Like, Jacob is thinking to himself, I would have never slept over here. This is, this is the, the portal to heaven. This is, this is where the angels go up and come down. This is Jerusalem. This is where, just let's be very, very um, clear here. This is where, this is the place where today you and I face when we pray. We face the Temple Mount when we, we face the space, the place of the temple. So in America, we face east. In Russia, they face south. South Africa, they face north, etc. But this is, or in Russia they face, not, not south, they face um, west, whatever. The point is, we all face Jerusalem. And where in Jerusalem? If you're in Jerusalem, the temple, the temple mount, that's where we face. Because that's where the portal is up to heaven. That's where the angels go up and come down with the blessings. No matter where we are, we beam it there. Goes up, goes down, beams back to us. Right? It's kind of like cell phones or something. So he says, I would have never... Where the big rock is? Huh? Was it where the big rock is? The, the Dome of the Rock? Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's... The side of the... the, side of the uh... It's the temple. It's, it's, that, it's that area, yeah. I don't know exactly where, no, I mean, but it's I in that... that rock is where... Uh, well, they, we don't know exactly where... There's, so there's a difference of opinion whether the, the Dome of the Rock, right? There's a right. dome, and then there's a rock in, inside. The question is, is that rock the rock where the altar was built upon, etc. That's a subject of debate amongst Jewish scholars. So, I don't know. I once asked the um, Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Stolik, our archaeologist, who does those, uh, our events for us in the, in the summer. You've seen his archaeological, like, his own? Yeah. So, and he said, he's the one who told me, like, it's not, we're not sure. It might be, it might not be. I guess those are the two options, right? But it's that, it's somewhere in the area. That's where he was. That's where Jacob was. Well, I've been there. I didn't know you're not supposed to go in. But anyway, on the rock itself. Mark, I don't judge you. I love you, man. <laughs> on the rock itself, I mean, I don't think you can do this now, but when I went in there, they had a velvet rope around it. Everyone was looking at it, and there was a huge footprint. Interesting. And that's where uh, Muhammad supposedly uh, mounted his steed to take him to heaven. There you go. But that footprint. There's a footprint in the rock? In the rock. But it's gotten huge just from people running their fingers. Got it. No, it's not this big. It's like. But I thought. But if there's a velvet rope, you can still get your fingers in there, or back, back in the back, day. Back then, now, they don't want it to be wider. Yeah. Okay, so I, I don't know. If, running their fingers over that, they made the. Could place. you guys hear what Mark said yes. about the dome of the rock? Yeah, dome of the rock. Sure, the rock. Okay, so Mark. Mark said he's seen the rock up close and personal, I, inside the dome of the rock. He's seen the rock that's inside the dome of the rock, and it's got a velvet. It's roped off. You can't get up. You can't touch it. Um, how big is the rock? Big? Half as big as this room, at least. Half as big as this room? Maybe bigger. Wow. We have a pretty decent-sized sanctuary. It's a boulder. It's a boulder. Okay. So that's a big, that's a big rock. Yeah. Okay. Could be they rolled it in for the... For the... What I, I'm not... I, I wasn't there. I, I'm just saying. I guess what I, what I was thinking, though... 
Hold on, but let me finish. And, and then in the rock, there's a footprint. That's allegedly the footprint that Muhammad went up to heaven on his steed. Okay. All right. That's definitely not a Jewish uh, source. No. Right. But in other words, what, what, made me, what, what it makes me think is that if the Muslims appropriated the rock right. for themselves, right. that maybe that was a holy spot. Right. So Mark is saying, may, if they took the rock, why would they take the rock if the rock was nothing? So maybe they took a rock that was indeed holy and then just kind of appropriated it for their own, for their own narrative. Sure. I, I don't know. And the people that I spoke to that I trust say that we don't know. So it's uh, one of those unknowns. So here we go. God is promising Jacob either near or around that rock or somewhere in the vicinity about that he'll be blessed. He'll have to descend, he's going to get the land. His descendants will be influencers all around the earth. Everyone's, everyone will be blessed through the Jewish people, through his children specifically. In other words, if we ever wonder if maybe the Torah opens it up to Ishmael and Esau, it should be clear by now that no, it's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. That is the lineage because God says through your seed. Verse 14, it's through your seed. Yours, not your brother, twin brother Esau's seed. It's through your seed that the world, that that, that, that blessing of, that I gave to Abraham will be carried through that, who, that, 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 the blessing to all mankind. There's a rush on this, yeah. Hold on, let's, let's continue inside. So, here we go. Verse 15. Verse 15, I think we're up to. No, I think we did it. No, 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 we did 15, we did 16. He woke up and he said, indeed, God is in this place. I did not know it. Let's continue verse 17. And he felt frightened, right? Jacob now was scared. He said, how awesome, and why is he scared? I mean, the simple idea that he's scared is he, he just slept in a holiest place on earth. He was a bit frightened. He said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven through which all prayers ascend. This is Zeshar Hashamayim, as I mentioned a moment ago. This is the portal. This is the, the place where heaven and earth kiss. This is, this is the place. Let's continue verse 18. So Jake, Rabbi, yes. Um, in, in Rashi, um, does it say anything more about the angels? I think there was something more about the angels, but I don't remember what it was. Let's check it out. Hold on. Let me look back and see if we have more about the angels. Olam um, no, going up and down. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It says the angels that escorted Jacob in the land of Israel were those that do not go outside the land. So they ascended to heaven. Then angels assigned to outside the land descended to escort him. Yeah, Rashi has a different, not a different take. Rashi has an explanation about the angels going up and down. Not vis-a-vis -vis prayer, but vis-a-vis -vis, um, angels of protection. Basically, there are Israeli angels and there are non-Israeli angels. So the, the Israeli angels that were his bodyguards, his um, guardian angels in Israel, well, as he gets uh, on his way out, those angels are going up to leave. And then new angels are coming down, the diaspora angels, to, uh, to, to go and safeguard him. So that, that's what Rashi says about the angels. Either way, angels were going up, new angels were coming down, etc. Right, let's continue. This is going to be verse 
number um, 18. Okay? Um, and Jacob, Yaakov, arose early in the morning. And he took the stone. Here, again, here's the singular. Because the many stones turned into one. He took the stone that he had placed by his head. And he set it up as a monument. And he poured oil on top of it. This was a form of worship, uh, of, of not anointing the rock, but a, what we would call a libation, pouring, poured oil on top of this rock. Let's continue, verse 19. He named the place Beit El, Bethel, but Luz was originally the name of the city. The people of Luz, what were they known as? Losers. Losers. Oh, very funny. Yeah, I'm, I'm here all week. <laughs> anyway, whatever. Okay, so back to our narrative. Jacob, verse 20. So now, Yaakov, Jacob, before he moves on in his journey, now he takes a vow. He makes a vow, and what does he say? He's saying the following. If God will be with me. In other words, if God keeps his promise. And if God will guard me on my way, on this route in which I am going, like he said he would, and if God will give me bread to eat and garments to wear, right, because he told me he's not going to abandon me. So if he gives me food, so let's go through all the things. If he'll be with me, keeping his promises, guarding my way, like he said he would, giving me bread to eat and garment to wear, and, let's continue verse 21, and if I return in peace, to my father's house, like God promised I would. And God will be my God to prevent my children, as Rashi says, from going off the path, the Abrahamic path. Then I will do the following. So he's making a deal with God. If God, God, if you live up to all your promises, you watch me on the way, you protect me, you give me all the blessings, you give me the food and the, sh and the clothing and the shelter, you give me all of the stuff that I need, and you let me come back in peace, back home, and, and, and unharmed, and my kids, and you watch out for my kids, if that's the case, then here we go. Then this stone, which I place as a monument, this stone, in other words, this stone on this holy mountain, on, the, on, on Mount Moriah, on the Temple Mount, this stone which I place as a monument shall be a house of God. All right? That will be eventually built as a house of God, and I will definitely separate tithes for you from everything that you have given me. So everything that you give me, I will surely tithe to you. These are, this is um, Jacob's end of the deal. So Jacob says, God, if you deliver this, 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 and this, then what am I going to do? I'm going to build a temple for you here, eventually. And make sure to give tzedakah. Make sure to give tithes. That's it. So what are the Jewish obligations in response to God's blessings? Number one, building houses of worship. And number two, tzedakah, tithing, charity. It's pretty, pretty straightforward. Pretty beautiful, beautiful message here. So again, when does this happen? When does he build a monument? Well, on his way back, he does build another altar. He builds an altar in the same place. So remember, this is his way out of Israel to go to Haran, to hang out with Lava and Laban, his uncle, and get whatever, ultimately as a family. On his way back, he's going to stop here again and build a monument and build, build an altar and, and, and bring sacrifices, etc. But it foreshadows the ultimate building of the Holy Temple in Jerusalem, which would happen on that very spot centuries and centuries later. How many years later? You ask, probably 
Six, seven hundred, eight hundred years later, the temple would be built. Several centuries later in history. Okay. Good. Questions, comments? On reading one. So far, so good? Seems like a very mundane thing to say. Which part? You're saying Jacob's deal deal with God? Do all this for me and... And yeah, then I'll I'm give you, I'll hook you up. I'm yeah. going to for you, and I'm going to give you 10%. Right, I'll give you 10% of my yeah. earnings. Right, right. He seems like uh, God's like, that's it? Yeah. I'm giving you all this stuff, and you'll give me back 10%? Yeah. Huh. Right, I'm with so you. Instead of the amount, it's more of, he should be saying, I would think he would have been saying more Spiritual stuff. Yeah. He would have right. More things, yeah. I will observe you, I will worship you. I'll, that's a very good question. That's, that's a very good question. Money, so Mark is asking, it seems like a very... Um, very tangible type of, very mundane type of uh, deal that Jacob makes with God. God, you give me all these blessings, and then I'm going to give you an altar, a temple, and, 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 and a tithe. It seemed like, you know, maybe give something more spiritual, more, you know, I'll meditate, I'll pray, I'll dedicate my life to you or something else. My children will fall, right. But I guess, you know, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe the whole point is, Maybe the whole point is the idea of the fusion of the spiritual and the physical. In other words, what Jacob is saying is that I'm not going to just serve you theoretically and ethereally and metaphysically, that that service is going to translate down into a physical space for God on this earth. And, and the, the, the actual work that I do, physical work, will be transformed. The money will be transformed into something spiritual. So it's like the highest level of spirituality is the one that informs the material world around us. That's how I would look at it, based on Hasidic philosophy. Yes, Parks of Hasidus, page 185. There you go. Then God will be my God, or will personal spiritual gain, uh, and the stone will be a house for God. More importantly, the physical world itself will become a home for God below. Yeah, exactly. In other words, the highest spiritual point is where it impacts the physical. So that's like the ultimate plot twist of Kabbalah and Hasidus, is that the ultimate is not to meditate and levitate, but to bring it back down into the world tangibly. And you see that with the house for God and the tithing that happens, etc. Okay, so all of this is the departure. Jacob's departure and his uh, encounter with God on the way out of Israel. Let's talk, I want to get into the next part of the story, which is, I love this part of the story, which is where Jacob meets his future wife at the well. Lots of shaduchim, lots of matches made at the well. I guess that was uh, the equivalent of the bar back in the day, the watering hole. Okay, let's jump back inside. This is going to be reading number two. And let's pull it up on the screen. Genesis chapter 29, verse number one. Jacob. Now the Torah tells us that Yaakov, Jacob, found it easy to lift his feet. After hearing this good news, I mean, man, with God's blessings, can you imagine? He had a jump in his step, Rashi says. Oof, what a jump in his step. You know, when, when, we, when we're unsure, when we're uncertain, every step is sluggish. We become apprehensive. Do I really want to step out? Maybe I want to go back home to the danger that I know. At least it's a familiar danger. I'm going to go out now to a foreign land, to a place that I have no idea what, what awaits me. That sounds a little scary. But having God's promise of security and protection, oh, a game changer. Now he, he lifts his feet. Jacob lifted his feet. Yeah, Rashi says his heart lifts his feet. Yeah, his heart is it's, it's every, he's in a positive mood. 
He has a jump, a, a hop, a skip and a step. Maybe, whatever the right cliche is. Skip and a step. And he went, and he went off and headed toward the land of the people of the east. Remember, that's where Abraham originally came from, the east, Mesopotamia, right? East of the, the land of Israel. And he looked and he glanced and behold, a well was in the field. Now I need to tell you, you know, once again, we have this idea of kfitzat haderach, how the, 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 um, uh, the, the journey is shortened. So he leaves and before long, he's already at his destination and he sees there's a well, a well in the field. And look, behold, three flocks of sheep were lying beside it because they would give water to the flocks from that well. So imagine, imagine, imagine a big open area, big field. And there's a well in the center. Okay, I'm just trying to like depict it, even though the Torah just did. But I just let's just walk through the visual. Big open field, and there's a well. And there's three different flocks of sheep. Not just not three sheep, three flocks of sheep, with their own shepherds. Very bizarre. So you have everyone hanging around the well. Uh, Jacob's question is obviously what's going on if you brought your animals to drink let them drink and move on why are you just sitting why are you posting up by the well it's, it's weird let's continue this, the narrative continues verse 3 um, and there was a huge rock that was upon the mouth of the well verse 3 and all the flocks would gather there when the flocks would gather there they would roll the rock off the mouth of the well and give water to the sheep. And then they would return the rock onto the mouth of the well to its place. So the Torah is giving us, the, narr the, the narrator of the Torah is kind of telling us what's going on over here. This is the scene that Jacob sees. He sees a well, open field, a well in the center, and all these animals, all these flocks of animals encircling the well. And he's wondering, like, what's going on? But meanwhile, the well has a massive rock, and the narrator of the Torah, right, God, is telling us that, FYI, the way it would work is when you had enough shepherds that gathered together with their flocks, they would all together heave ho and move the, the rock off the well, and then all the animals would drink, and then they would put it back on. Why did they have such a heavy rock? Simple. So that no individual shepherd should steal the water. Are you with me? Because water, was a, water is, a, is a resource. Water is, a, in some parts of the world, a very scarce resource. And so what happens if, what happens if you leave the well uncovered or, with, or covered with, a, with a, uh, a, a, a thin piece of plywood, if you, don't, if you want to keep dust and debris and animals out from jumping inside, sure, but then somebody may... Uh, may um, um, what's the word I'm looking for, may uh, deplete the water supply middle of the night. So you this was a way of keeping everybody in check so that you could only be rolled off when you had enough people there and then everybody could make sure that the other one's not stealing water illegally. Okay, so that's the way it would work. Now, this is the, again, the Torah is telling us, you and I now know how it's set up, but Jacob, first time there, he has no idea what's going on. So Jacob says to them, verse 4, so Jacob said to them, my brothers, where are you from? Where are you from, my brothers? Right? I guess they didn't have signs that said, you know, you're almost near Haran, two miles. It didn't say that. So, and they said to him, we're from Haran. Great. So this is now the well that all the Haranites, 
that's what they're called, um, where they hang out for water. Great. So he said to them, do you perchance know Lavan, Laban, the grandson, it's his son, it's the grandson of Nachar. Nachar was the brother of Abraham. In other words, do you know Laban, who's from uh, the family of Nachar? And they said, yeah, we know him. Yeah, legit. Remember, this is, his, this is Jacob's uncle. This is his mother's brother, Laban. So he's like, do you know my uncle? I said, yeah. And he said to them, verse 6, is he well? Is he okay? And they said, yeah, he's fine. Things are fine. Things are going well. And in fact, here's his daughter Rachel coming with the sheep. Look at that. You just asked about Laban. Not only do we know him, not only is he okay, there's his daughter right here. She's coming with, she's a shepherdess and she's coming with the sheep. Now Jacob is still very confused why everybody's gathering up right around this well. What's going on here? So Jacob says to them, right, the, 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 the sheep are lying down around, the, not doing any work or not, not doing any grazing or movement, and they're just lying down by the well. He's, so he says to the shepherds, he says, um, the day is yet long. In other words, it's still middle of the day here. Still middle of the day. And it's not yet time to take in the flocks, take in the livestock. So why don't you just water the sheep and then go and pasture? If you came here for the water, give the, water, the animals water and that's it. Everyone's coming and just stopping around the well. It doesn't make any sense. What are you guys doing? So they answered him. You know the answer by now because we have the narrator, right? And we know the story. So they said, no, we can't do that until all the flocks are gathered together. And then we'll roll, uh, or they, yeah, they will, they, all of us together, will roll the rock off the mouth of the well. Then we'll give water to the sheep. So we can't, no one of us individually is strong enough to remove the rock from the well. We have to wait till everybody gathers. So they basically let him in on the secret of, of their process here. Verse number nine. So while he was still talking with them, Rachel, Rachel, comes with her father's sheep, Laban's sheep. For she was, as I mentioned before, a shepherdess. Then it came to pass that when Yaakov and Jacob saw Lavan's daughter, Rachel, Rachel, his mother's brother, and others, Laban was his mother's brother, his uncle. And he saw the daughter, Rachel, and he saw the sheep of Laban, which again was, Laban was his mother's brother. It was at that point that Jacob stepped forward, Yaakov stepped forward, and he rolled the rock, rolling rock, Latrobe, Pennsylvania. Rolled the rock. That's a beer company. He rolled the rock off of Rolling Rock. Yeah, it's from right around Pittsburgh. I know, you inundated with commercials, always, as a kid. All right, anyway, he rolled the rock off the mouth of the well, effortlessly showing off his great strength. And he watered the sheep of love and his mother's brother. So what does he do? Chivalry at its finest. Oh, my gosh. You think it's only, God forbid, in times of emergency that somebody could lift a car off a child, etc.? Again, God forbid, right, that that should ever need, need to happen. But like, no, this guy, the all, the, still don't have all the shepherds ready to roll for, with, with the rock. It's, but, but he sees this young lady arriving with the sheep. Oh, he's smitten. That's it. That's it. But how do you show off, right? That's it. I got this rock. Every, you need 10 guys to roll it off. I got this. 
Jacob flexes. Jacob, the yeshiva, the yeshiva bacher, the yeshiva student, right? He was studying Talmud all day in the tents of his father, right? Jacob flexes. I still picture like the cartoons, you know, where the muscle, instead of going up, goes down, whatever. And that's it. He's doing it. He's rolling the rock. He's got it. Good. What's, what's his big flourish? What's his finale after he died? Oh, and then, now that the, now, now that the, the well is exposed, now that the rock, the rock is up, so he's watering the sheep of love, love and his mother's brother. My, how the tables have turned. The previous generation with his, uh, with his parents, right? The girl, Rebecca, is the one who's watering all the... This time, you see this? Before the girl had to do it, now the boy's doing it. Now the guy's doing good chivalry. Chivalry, chivalry, chivalry is not dead. He's now, he's paying for drinks. He's got it. He's doing the work to get the drinks going. And that's it. He's now giving water to the sheep of Lavan, his mother's brother, and definitely impressing and wowing Rachel. Then, as the ultimate flourish, verse 11, Jacob, Yaakov, kisses Rachel. He kissed her. Yeah. And as Rashi says, perceiving that he would not be buried, that they would not be buried together. So he wept loudly. So he kisses her and he cries. He raises his voice and he cries. Again, why did he cry? Because he saw prophetically that they would get married, but that she would be buried in one place and he would be buried elsewhere. They would not eternally lie together in eternal rest. Where was she buried, by the way? Kevarachal, right? Um, Rachel's tomb, which is... On the side of the road. Why does Rashi say that? Because to me, the simple meaning... That he wept is... He wept for joy. Right. I found my wife. Right. He wept not, not, tears of joy. Why yeah. tears of sound? How does, why does Rashi say that? Right. Even if there's a medrash, good Mark's asking a good question. In other words, yeah, there's a tradition, a medrash that says that he wept because of this prophetic vision that they would not, you know, eternally uh, lie together in, in, in repose, if you will. But why does Rashi, who's giving us the basic meaning, why does Rashi quote it? Why can't Rashi just say he, he he's wept tears of joy? He met, he met his wife, his future wife. He had a prophetic vision that they would get married. He was so overwhelmed by emotion, he cried. Why not? I don't know. That's a good, no, I'm repeating your question. I don't have to have the answers, right? I mean, it's, it's a good question. Maybe it's discussed. I'll tell you this. That's the type of question that the Rebbe would ask. The Rebbe would always ask, like, if Rashi's giving us the count, Rashi's not a medrash. If Rashi quotes from, you know, it's because this is the straightforward meaning. But how, why was Rashi forced into saying this was a straightforward meaning? Unless you say that men don't cry under those circumstances. <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't know. I, I have no idea. I don't know. It's a good question. Good. Good. Listen, it's a question. Mark, you'll have to look it up and come up with an answer. We demand you to come up with an answer by tomorrow. Okay, next. Um, so Jacob, let's just understand what happened. At the well, when he sees uh, his cousin, yeah, Rachel, clearly he, he likes her, rolls the water off, rolls the rock off the well, gives the water to the animals, kisses her, and cries. Okay? Let's continue verse 12. Bittersweet. Bittersweet. Bittersweet tears, yeah. Bittersweet tears. Verse 12. Jacob, Yaakov, told Rachel after the kiss, FYI, we're mishpacha. Yeah, Yaakov tells Rachel, tells Rachel that he was, he is, 
right? Her father's kinsman, her father's relative, and that he was Rebecca's son. In other words, her, Rachel, her father, Laban's sister, Rebecca's son, is this guy right here, her cousin. That's it, they're cousins. Let's continue. So what does she do at this point? So she ran and told her father. She ran and told her father. Her mother wasn't, wasn't alive, Rashi, uh, Rashi points out. Her mother wasn't alive. Otherwise, she would tell her mother, because we know last week's Torah, a uh, few weeks ago, Torah portion, that the, the girl would always report first to her mother and then to her father. So here she goes to her father. So it indicates that her mother was not with us, was no longer alive. Now, verse 13. Now we get into the, oh, look at the time. It's 106. Let's, um, okay, good. The good news is only a few more verses. Let's, uh, let's, let's speed on to the end, and then we'll go back tomorrow. We'll pick it up. I just want to get through the narrative. Not through, but let's, let's advance the narrative a little bit. Now, when it came to pass, as the Torah says, when Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, basically his nephew, he ran toward him, and as Rashi points out, thinking that he would be laden with money like Eliezer. Right? Because he remembers what happened when Eliezer came to find the wife. This story happened before in a similar fashion. And the guy had tons. He was loaded with cash, loaded with jewelry, loaded with clothing. The guy had 12, 10 camels worth of stuff. So he hears a, a relative again from the family. Oh, he runs. He runs. His sister's son. Oh, he's running. He's running. Uh, now, when he saw that he had no money, so what did he do? So he embraced him. He hugged him to feel... Uh, what was in his pockets. I flew back from Dallas yesterday and I go through the machine. You know those machines where you stand up and you put your arms like this? Like you're jumping jacks but you're not jumping anywhere? Yeah? Then afterwards I got through then they wanted to pat me down. Like, <laughs> sure, no problem. Pat me down. No, it was just a general side pat down. But nonetheless, I got patted down yesterday. Boom! Love on Laban the uncle is patting down his nephew. He's embracing him, as Rashi says. He was patting him down to feel him up, to see what's going on over here, to see if, uh, if the gout is in his pockets. And then when he saw that there was nothing there, then he kissed him. And why did he kiss him? To see if there were pearls hidden in his mouth. Now, I know what you're thinking. How would he, by kissing, how would he tell if there were pearls hidden in his no, mouth? No, no. <laughs> Sorry, Mark. <laughs> Sorry, Mark. I don't mean to give you too much visuals here. But okay, so that's, so he, um, he investigates. He investigates. Okay. Now, what happened? Oh, what, what happened? What's the grossest thing in the world? One second, one yeah, second. I gotta say quickly. What's the grossest thing in the world? I have no idea. When you kiss your grandmother goodbye, she slips you a little tongue. Sorry. All right. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Sorry. Mark, <laughs> I asked you to wait on that. I don't know why we had to have that now. All right, let's move on. Let's move on. Why did Jacob not have anything on him? What, his parents sent him penniless? He was penniless. How did he get penniless? So I'll tell you the backstory. Esau, Esau, his brother who wanted to kill him, sent his own son, Eliphaz, after Jacob to kill him, to murder him. Yeah, he was hired. He told his son, Go chase after Jacob and kill him on the road. Eliphaz comes to Jacob and he says, I, you know, hey, sorry, uncle, but I got to kill you. My dad told me to kill you. So he says to him, he says to his nephew, Eliphaz, Esau's son, he says, look, um, there's a tradition that says that someone who is absolutely impoverished without a penny to their name is uh, it's like their life is compromised. So rob me of all my possessions, take everything I have, 
and then you'll, you can say that you did your job. So he does. So he robs him. So that's what happened. Okay. What about the, I'm sorry, the yeah. prohibition, murder prohibition? Oh, Esau didn't care. Oh, Esau was a murderer. Remember it says that he trapped animals? He trapped animals. He trapped human beings. He trapped women. He, was, he, he did all the, all the sins in the book. Anyway, so the point is like this. That Jacob had nothing, and Laban is checking it out, and he confirms he has nothing. Let's continue quickly, because we're, uh, we're running against the clock here. Um, Laban set, uh, so brought him to his house, and he told Laban, right? Uh, and Jacob told Laban what had happened, and what happened to him, all these happenings, that he basically doesn't have any money because his nephew came to rob him, blah, blah. Okay, for, or to kill him, and he robbed and Laban said to him, indeed, you are my bone and my flesh. In other words, you're mishpacha. So he stayed with him for a full month. And Laban said to Jacob, Laban said to Jacob in verse 15, should you work for me for free because you're a relative? Tell me what your wages should be. In other words, you don't have to work for me. I'm giving you a place to stay, but I'll pay you. I mean, I'll give you something. So verse 16, now, Lava, now Laban had two daughters. The older one was called Leah, and the younger one was called Rachel. Rachel. Leah's eyes were tender, and, but Rachel had beautiful features and a beautiful complexion, and that is the one whom he wished to marry. And that's how the Torah reading ends for reading two, which is for today. So we just made it. Whew. All right, we made it, and uh, we finished the reading. Now, the drama, we're right in the middle of the story. So the story is like just, just, just beginning, but hopefully... We have enough to get us started. Ariella, jump in. I feel like I might be on to a new discovery about Leia today because it has always really bothered me, this comparison between Rachel and Leia. And I always felt like they were saying, oh, Leia was not attractive, but Rachel was. And right. I decided to look up the word rakot in right. Hebrew. And rakot is meaning soft or tender. Right. And that's not necessarily a negative. And I think what it's really saying is like there was kindness, tenderness, like there was inner beauty, like because the eyes are the window to the soul. So like Leia had like this inner beauty, but, you know, he saw the outward beauty of Rachel. So I think that's right. the juxtaposition maybe that we're looking at. I, I like that. I like that. I would yeah. say to go even further... I would say that, that Jacob was operating, because he was a tzaddik, Jacob was operating on a spiritual level altogether. In other words, Leah and Rachel, and we actually discussed this a year ago or so in our JLI Core Secrets of the Bible, they represent different types of, 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 of avodah, different types of service. So Leah represents the model of service. So Leah was older, Rachel was younger, they, and they paralleled almost the Esau and the Jacob dynamic. So older, older, younger, younger. So Jacob and Rachel, the two younger siblings, they were the most compatible. They were both kind of the, um, the uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The introverted type of, uh, you know, that type of thing. And Leah and Esau, they were the extroverted. So when... And that's why on a physical level, at least according to Rashi, why her eyes were tender, because she was crying, because she knew the prophecy that's, or whatever, the, the, the word out there that says that she was ultimately going to marry Esau, and she's like, I don't want to marry that guy, and whatever. But she, she didn't. She ended up marrying Jacob. But Jacob prefers someone who's like him, but he's told, 
one way or another, that he has to marry someone who's not like him, which is his way of also assuming the blessings that he stole, that he took from his brother Esau. He took the, he took the blessings, that means you have to go to work now, you have to transform the world into, uh, into a better place and not just stay um, secluded. Anyway, we have this theme recurring, but I agree with you that it's not, my, my, my point is not to confuse things, but just to say I agree with you 100% that the typical stereotype, I don't know if it's a stereotype, but the typical thing that we think about the story that, oh, one was beautiful, one wasn't so beautiful, and he wanted the beautiful girl. It's not, we're not dealing with a shallow, Perch Jacob wasn't a shallow, you know, guy. He was, he was a tzaddik, he was our patriarch Jacob. These stories aren't as simple as they think. So whether different types of beauty, physically or spiritually, as, as I'm suggesting, they're, you know, Jacob is drawn toward a certain persona, but that doesn't mean the other one is not beautiful. On the contrary, it was even more beautiful on some, uh, uh, and, and where he needed to be, even if he wasn't yet ready to embrace it, which is why ultimately he is married, he does marry her, and he has most of his kids with her. So clearly that is, that is the beauty that he needs to, the spiritual beauty that he needs to embrace. Yeah. What is Bereshit Rabba Baba Basra? Bereshit Rabba is a Medrash and Baba Basra. It means it's both in the Medrash and the Talmud. It says the verse would not gratuitous, the verse would not gratuitously mention a negative quality of Leah. Right. It says that her eyes were tender to teach us how much she abhorred the prospect of becoming Esau's wife. Right. So it's not just saying that her eyes were tender for no reason. It's telling us that she was not wanting to marry Esau, which means that she had a sensitivity. But again, more from a Hasidic perspective, it's the idea that she was a more outgoing, like Esau. Esau was the more outgoing and Jacob was the more not outgoing, was the more introverted guy. So the same thing with the girls. And he was supposed to marry, he wanted to marry someone like his original personality, but remember he got the blessings. That means he was really destined to live most, most of his life in that space of being out, more outgoing than he was naturally. Okay, that takes us to the end of today's Reading. Apologize about the late end, but we will. Um, okay, so what's the takeaway? I know a lot of takeaways. Number one, prayer is a ladder that goes up. May our prayers ascend. Make sure we create good angels, healthy angels as we pray. Go up and then come down. By the way, I should mention along those lines this Shabbos, this Shabbat uh, morning, concurrent alongside our, our normal service, the usual service, we're going to be having our monthly learner service where we're going to take a deep dive inside the prayers and understand them, and maybe even do some meditations on the prayers. So join me Saturday at uh, 10.45-ish, 10.45, yeah. Uh, for about an hour, we'll do the uh, Shabbat Learner Service. Um, so that's one message from today. The other message is, yeah. At the Learner Service, can we just do a very brief review of... Of the four steps. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll talk about the four steps of prayer, the ladder, which comes from this ladder, the four rungs. Um, and we'll talk about that. And then, of course, other... Messages from today's reading. Um, what else did we have? What other good theme did we have? We had a lot of good themes, a lot of good narrative. Other theme is about integrating, integrating the blessings. When we promise God something, right? What are we promising? You know, love and, 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 and you know, and we got to promise something tangible. A temple, converting money into a, into a spiritual vehicle to integrate the spiritual with the physical. That is the, the ultimate divine gift. All right, my friends, we're going to continue the narrative tomorrow. Same bad time, same bad channel. Uh, Tuesday at noon. I look forward to seeing you on Zoom. Also, a quick reminder, we have a lot of amazing, amazing events going on currently. We have Rosh Chodesh Society, which was originally going to take place tonight, but we moved it to next week. 
because of uh, a scheduling conflict with our teacher. So we're moving, we moved it to next week, the 15th. So join us next Monday night, November 15th, for Rosh Chodesh Society. Um, That's also going to be in person. That is person, but we're also going to have a Zoom link as well. Yeah, it's going well, to be in person with the food and the, and the wine and all that good stuff. And then for those that can't make it, whatever, we'll have, we'll have a live stream of it going on. And then what else do we have upcoming? We have, of course, the jewelry workshop, November 20th. We also have, I just sent out an email yesterday, we have the 21st of November, Meals of Love. Come join us to make food, cook and bake for women in need. The, uh, the residents of Rebecca's Tent, which is a local women's shelter that is um, run in conjunction with the Congregation Sheriff Israel. So we're going to be doing cooking we have an amazing menu, really good food, and we need help. We need volunteers and help sponsor a meal. Thank you for that event. It's going to be a lot of fun, November 21st. I also have another event that is not yet up that will be going up at some point very soon. So stay tuned. Okay, Kabbalah the Matrix. What else? We have a musical event, a meditation event, a meditation course coming up. Are you kidding me? Check out the website. Anti-Semitism is going on this week, Tuesday night or Thursday. All right. That's it. That's all the news is fit to print. We'll see you. See everybody. Sarah, Olia, Ariella, Ray, and remind me. Faye. Faye. Thank you. Great to see you. All right. Take care, everybody. See you. See you soon. Sorry about that joke.